Amen. He is a stronghold in a day of trouble. He's a strong tower. And praise the Lord, he's a strong tower for you. I don't know what things you're having to run from. But you know, the Bible doesn't tell us to run from anything. It tells us to run to something. So the Bible doesn't say run from trouble. Because how many of you know, if you run from trouble, you are very likely to end up in the wrong place. Because someone that's running from something doesn't care where they're running. Right? As long as you get away from here. I don't care which direction I'm going, as long as it's not here. This is why so many of us get into situations in our life that God didn't ordain. And, and we get out of position. We get derailed because we are off track because we're running from something. But the Bible doesn't say in a day of trouble, run from trouble. It says in a day of trouble, run to him. The righteous will run. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous will run to that name and be saved. So the Bible doesn't say don't run. It just says don't run. It tells us not, not running from, running to. Praise the Lord. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts. It's a real mic drop moment right there. Pretty weak mic drop moment, but you, you, you take what you can get. You take what you can get. Acts chapter 27. As we've been going through the sermons of Acts, you might say, well, you're really stretching the definition of sermon, Pastor. Some of these just seem like a defense in court, or sometimes it seems like a farewell to a group of people. But, you know, uh, I understand that. But I think that, that these proclamations that are coming from the apostles might not be classic sermons that you'd preach in church, but they are declarations of who God is and the gospel and the power of the gospel. And so uh, often, you know, I, I want you to see through this that you're preaching sermons all the time, whether you know it or not. What comes out of your mouth at work, what comes out of your mouth at home, what comes out of your life in the city of Lloydminster is a sermon. It's a sermon people are listening to. It's a sermon people are watching. It's a visual sermon people are watching. And so I, I want you to understand that we have an opportunity for our life to give glory to God, for our life to declare the goodness of God. In fact, uh, Paul said to Titus, he says, tell your folks that, that this is how they should live, and in doing so, they're going to wear their doctrine. We, we have a, an idea in North America that doctrine is something that needs to be only taught. That's the only way we, we communicate doctrine is by teaching uh, with our mouth, with, and preferably with people that are ready to learn. But Paul said, yeah, that's a big part of doctrine is teaching. But he also says that when you live a life that reflects what you believe, you are wearing your doctrine. In other words, you are proclaiming what you believe to everybody that you meet. It's a crazy thing for us to say, I believe this, come to church and we'll talk about it, but every other day of the week you're living contrary to what you say you believe. You are preaching six messages against what you believe and hoping that we can make it all up on Sunday, and that just doesn't work. We declare God, we declare what we believe by the way we live, by the way we speak, by the way we treat one another, by the way we address God and honor Him. This is how we... We uh, demonstrate, and it's not just about demonstration, because if it's real, you'll, you'll do it, right? If it's real, if you really believe something, you'll live it. It's, 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 I've said this before, but if you really believe that the ceiling is falling in the next five minutes, you're not going to sit there for five minutes. You're going to leave. Because when you believe something, you act on it. When we say we believe something and we don't, that's when we have hypocrisy. And so I, I want you to see that some of these... Um, uh, situations where something is being declared in the book of Acts that you might say, well, that doesn't really sound like a sermon. You said we're doing sermons in Acts. Um, we're, we're, we're studying the different sermons in the book of Acts. I, I would go ahead and say, yeah, we're stretching it a bit, but I think these are sermons that are being preached uh, to the people that need it the most. Acts 27, uh, I want you to remember how Acts 26 ended. It ended with Paul in front of the governor of Judea, a man named Festus, and it's still funny for the Old West fans. I, I can, it's a little snicker. A man named Festus who says, if this man hadn't appealed to Caesar, he could have been released. So Paul has appealed to the highest court. 
Because Paul wants to talk to the emperor. And he's figured out the way I talk to the emperor is as a prisoner. That's how I'm going to get a chance to preach the gospel to the emperor. So he's appealed to Caesar. And uh, Festus and, and his buddies say, you know, if you hadn't done that, we would have let you go. Paul's, Paul's purpose is not to be free from jail. His purpose is to preach the gospel. And as Jesus told them on the road, that you will speak before kings and rulers for my sake. So he goes, part of my job is to preach before Caesar. I might die for it, but he's going to hear the gospel. That's powerful. In order to get from Jerusalem to Rome, what do you have to do? Do you fly? Do you walk? Do you ride a horse? What do you, what, at some point, you're going to have to get in a, a boat. You've got to cross the water at some point. How many Easterners, how many Maritimers do we have today? Anybody from the Maritimes? Any Newfies? Nova Scotia? All right. Yeah, yeah. Anybody from PEI? Oh, we didn't need them anyways. Anna Green. I don't even like Anna Green Gables. That's fine. We got some, we got some Newfoundlanders. We got some Nova Scotia folks. Maybe some New Brunswick every now and then. Yes. All right. Right on. Cool. So you're going to like this one because this one's all about sailing. It's all about the water. <laughs> and hate, nothing like stereotyping people right as we start the service. <laughs> there is a whole lot of nautical stuff in this story, and it's good. In Acts chapter 27, Paul is on his way to Rome, but in order to get there, they've got to sail. It says, when it was decided that we'd sail for Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius, embarking on an Andromedan ship, which was about to sail for the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. From there we pulled out to sea, and we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we'd sailed through the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia, and there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and he put us aboard it. When we'd sailed slowly for a good many days and with difficulty had arrived off Canidus, since the wind did not permit us to go further, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmon, Salmon. And with difficulty sailing past it, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. And when considerable time had passed, and even now, the voyage was now dangerous, since even the, the fast was already over. Paul began to admonish them and said to them, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Now, when Paul says, I perceive this, he's not just saying, I got a hunch. What I believe what he's saying is, I perceive this by the Spirit. This is not going to turn out well if you go, if you go now. It's not going to turn out well. He has an obligation to say that. Sometimes your, your, your vote doesn't count as much as you wish it did. And sometimes you find yourself in a boat with people that don't believe in God. Sometimes you find yourself in a boat with people that don't really care if you're saying, well, this is what the Lord says. It's not really important to them. And uh, sometimes that affects your life in a way that you wish it didn't. Because if, if, if Paul had had his way... They wouldn't have set sail at all. They'd set sail later uh, when the time was right, when the, when the winds were good, when the weather was good. But it says here, Paul says this, I perceive that this is not going to end well. We can lose everything. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. Now, is anybody surprised by that? Like, honestly, come on, guys. Be honest. If you were um, a soldier taking a preacher that's in your custody, and putting him on a plane, and he goes, this isn't going to turn out well, and the pilot and all the airline mechanics are going, it's fine. Are you going to go, but the preacher says no. No, most of, most of the people that don't believe in God would obviously say, no, we're, we're trusting the experts. The, the, the captain, the pilot of the ship, and the captain of the ship both say this is good. I don't know who you are, Paul, but you're not a sailor. Now, Paul grew up in Tarsus. He might, not, he might have known a thing or two about sailing, but this was a, something he knew by the Spirit. So they ignore him. And in verse 12, it says, Because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, 
the majority reached the decision to put out to sea from there if somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. So it's not a good, they've got to bear down for the winter somewhere, and they just say this is not the spot for it. And when a moderate south wind came up, supposing that they had attained their purpose, this is perfect. South wind, that'll take us right where we need to go. They weighed anchor, and they began sailing along Crete, close inshore. But before long, there crashed down from the land a violent wind called Araquilo. This basically means a nor'easter, a northeaster. This is a bad wind. They had a nice, pleasant south wind, and they're like, see, Paul? See, we know what we're talking about. Trust the experts. And all of a sudden, a northeastern wind hits them. And verse 15, it says, And when the ship was caught in it, we could not face the wind. We give way to it, and we let ourselves be driven along. Because you couldn't fight it. So you just have to say, well, let's hope we end up somewhere good. Running under the shelter of a small island called Clauda, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. And when they'd hoisted it up, they used supporting cables and undergirding the ship. And fearing that they might run aground on the shallows of Sirtis, they let down the sea anchor and in this way let themselves be driven along. So basically they're driving with the e-brake on. You know, let's put the anchor down and just slow us down a little bit, all right? And when they do that, the next day as we're being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo. And, and you got to hope, if you're Paul, that you don't somehow get labeled cargo, you know, <laughs> that they're going to keep you. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, so it's so stormy they can't even see the sun and the stars, so they've got no idea where they're heading. This is pre-compass. It says, and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this where you feared for your life, but I'm sure we've all been in situations where all hope was gradually being abandoned, especially when you are in a boat with unbelievers who didn't listen to you when you said you shouldn't do this, but you're in the boat with them. You know, there's people that, that you know, because of your family situation, because your work situation, uh, because of the society you live in, you find yourself in a boat with people that believe differently than you. And sometimes that really affects your life. Now, here's the question. It'll affect my life. Will it change God's plan for my life? Will, will it stop God's will from being done in my life? You know, Moses learned. <laughs> well, let's say Joshua and Caleb more than even that. Joshua and Caleb learned that a bunch of grumps can keep you for 40 years out of your promise. But they can't keep you out permanently. Isn't that cool? That, that, that they were supposed to go in the promised land uh, at a certain age. They're supposed to go in. And the spies that go with them say, uh, you know what? It's a beautiful land, but there's giants. There's forts. We can't take it. I don't care what God said. We can't do it. And because of that, all of Israel was kept out of the promised land for 40 years. But Joshua and Caleb still got to go. Just took them 40 years longer. That's why it matters who you marry. <laughs> That's why it matters who you hang with. That's why it matters who you partner in business with. Because other people are going to affect your decisions. They're going to affect your life. But I will tell you this. God is big. So don't take it lightly. You know, the Bible says don't be bound together with unbelievers. Don't, don't enter into these things. Uh, now that you're a believer, I realize... You know, we came into the kingdom of God at different stages. But now that you're a believer, this is why you, you think about who am I going to get in business with or who am I going to spend my life with. These are important things. But I want you to know that sometimes you're in a boat and there's nothing you can do about it. You live in a country with other people that vote. You live in a school system that's got a school board you might disagree with. You go to work and, the, and your coworkers don't believe like you believe. And you might feel it would be a lot easier if I were not in the boat with these guys because these guys keep messing things up. They don't care what God says. They don't, they don't listen. And, and because of them, we're all going to be shipwrecked. But I want you to see the greatness and the power of our God that what he said will come to pass. Now, some things have delayed, but it hasn't stopped it. It says this, that when they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, and I want you to just know, um, if you read a lot of ancient literature, the, there, there's this theme that pops up from time to time of uh, a storm where everybody's going to die. And at some point, 
somebody usually stands up and tells them, you're all going to die. <laughs> and it's like some, some guy gets, this is the time for a speech saying, we're all doomed to die, let's embrace our death. But instead, Paul stands up and he does the opposite. You know, it's very easy to look around and say, we're all going to die. The world knows how to do that. The news media knows how to do that. What's difficult is for someone to, to stand up and when all things you see and when all things you hear and feel, all evidence points to the fact that you're all doomed. It's very difficult to stand up and say something contrary to that. But Paul is, is tapped into something different. His hope is not coming from what he sees. His hope is coming from the Lord. And it says, he says, men, you ought to have followed my advice. So even, even Paul was not above a little, I told you so. Cap'n. Mr. Expert, you ought to have followed my advice and not set sail from Crete and incurred, incurred this damage and loss. Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage. Keep up your courage. You know, our English word courage comes from a Latin word for heart. The Bible talks often about people losing heart. When you lose heart, what happens? You quit. What happens when you begin to experience hypothermia, you feel a, a desire, a, a strong desire to lay down and go to sleep. That's when people die. Losing heart is, is this thing, of, I don't see any hope, I'm giving up hope. And when you lose your courage, you lose your heart, you quit moving your feet, you quit running, you quit moving forward. And that's why so many times in the New Testament, we are called to encourage. Encourage means to give courage, right? We're called to encourage one another. In fact, the Bible says, uh, it says, see to it that none of you fall short of the grace of God, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it's called today. We are called to be this guy that stands up in the boat and says, don't give up yet. Take courage. And here's why. Because I want to tell you, I, I'm, I don't care how, you know, Bill Belichick, your speeches are. I don't care how, how motivating you feel like you are. And I don't care whether you cue your, your iPhone on some inspirational music and you start a speech with me. If, if It's very difficult to encourage me if you don't have something behind that courage. I, I've never been really motivated by teddy bears that say nice little inspirational quotes on them, or the little cat that says, hang in there on the poster. I, that's never been something that really motivated me because I go, what does the cat know about life, huh? It's just a kitten, doesn't know yet. It's not like the farm cats at the Davidsons who've been through stuff, you know? They're not telling you to hang in there, they're telling you life's rough. <laughs> you should see what I see out there every day. You couldn't last. That little kitten doesn't know. So if you're going to encourage me, what I don't need is a there, there, it's going to be all right. How do you know it's going to be all right? How do you know? How do you know it's going to be all right? Paul says this. Here, here's why. He's not just saying, guys, I'm sure it'll be fine. He's not just being an optimist. He's being a realist, but a realist whose, whose realism is founded on who God really is. And here's what he says. He says, take courage, keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me. I just want you to take that phrase with both hands and think about it. The God to whom I belong and to whom I serve. And right there is the source of all of Paul's hope and courage. I belong to him, and that's the one I serve. I know that his plan for me will be fulfilled in my life. When I'm obedient to it, when I walk it, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm surrendered to him, I know it will be fulfilled in my life. He's the God I belong to. And in fact, he says to Timothy, I know that he is faithful to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. So he says, Here's why I have courage, not just because I'm a, a cheery guy. Remember, he's the guy that said, if we leave, we're all going to die. So he's not the like, most sunshiny disposition dude. He says, here's why I have courage. You, you should all take courage because an angel of the, of the God to whom I belong 
and whom I serve stood before me this very night, saying, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. For those of you that have been with us for the past few months, do you remember when we uh, read from the story when Paul had caused a riot in Jerusalem in the, in the Sanhedrin and he was barely dragged out of there alive? I mean, just in time. And it says the Lord spoke to him that night and said, just as you, take courage. He said the same thing. Take courage, Paul. As you've testified for me here in Jerusalem, so you must testify before me in Rome. That same encouragement along the journey. And the encouragement is this. Is the encouragement is not that everything's going to be all right because they're still going to lose the boat. It's going to be rough. But you're going to get where I told you you're going to go. You're going to get to the other side. How many times did Jesus say that to his disciples? Go to the other side. You remember in Mark chapter 6? When Jesus has sent them ahead of him, and he sends his disciples and said, you go to the other side, I'll meet you there. And then he's walking on the water. Well, like at first a, a storm comes, and they think they're all going to die. They think they're, they're toast. And then he's walking on the water, and that scares them even more because they think it's a ghost. And he says, it's me. And, and, and he gets in the boat. And what happens? He, he commands the wind and the waves to be still. And it says they were astonished. And, and I know sometimes we're astonished in a good way, like we're in awe. But Mark seems to imply that this was not a good astonishment. It was an astonishment born of unbelief. It says they were astonished because their hearts were hardened because they had not gained any insight from the incident with the loaves. Which I know we've talked about this before, but like what does Jesus multiplying loaves and fishes have to do with Jesus calming the storm. And I think the tie-in here, well, number one is the power of God, right? Yeah, that's obvious. But I think number two is, what did, what did Jesus say before the loaves and the fish were multiplied? He said, you feed them. And they said, how? How do we do that, Lord? And then when finally someone brought a basket with some fish and bread in it, he Blessed it, he gave thanks, he blessed it, then he broke it. And he gave it to them to pass out. He gave it to them. And so the, the, bread, the loaves and the fishes were not multiplied in Jesus' hands. No miracle took place in Jesus' hands that day. The miracle took place in the disciples' hands. As they passed out the food, they saw the power of God working through them. So what Jesus was teaching them was, I want to do miracles through you. I want to involve you, because Jesus could have walked around going, here you go, here you go, here you go. Can't trust us with the disciples because, you know, it runs out. But as long as I'm doing it, it multiplies. No, he multiplied it through their hands as they broke the bread, as they tore the fish, and the head grew a tail, and the tail grew a head. Somehow, this kept being multiplied, and the basket stayed full. In, in fact, until there were leftovers, 12 large baskets full of leftovers. So it says they didn't learn anything from that. What should they have learned? Well, just like Jesus said, you feed them, Jesus also said, you go to the other side. And there's a truth that when the Lord tells you, you go to the other side, he's not saying there are absolutely no storms between here and the other side. He's not saying there's absolutely no obstacles from here and there. But he is saying, you're going to get there. And what you need to do is know that if I send you, you're going. And that's what God said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah says, I can't do this. I'm too young. And God says, don't ever say you're too young again. Don't ever say you're a youth again. Don't give me excuses because wherever you go, wherever I send you, you'll go. And whatever I tell you to say, you'll say. So it's not you doing it. It's me doing it. And I think that's one of those things that I have to keep remembering the Lord is saying, don't give me excuses because excuses mean you're trying to do this yourself. Right? I can't do it. And he goes, of course you can't. Of course you can't. Why did you think you could? That's the problem is you thought you ever could. If situations were perfect, if the conditions were right, I could do this. No, you can't. But when you say the Lord can do this and he can do it through me. If the Lord said get to the other side, then we can speak and we can pray. We can speak to the wind and the waves and the wind and waves will cease. If the Lord said you feed them, then we could take the loaves of fish and go, Lord, all right, we're going to do what you told us to do. And here, God's told Paul, you're going to Rome. 
So Paul knows I'm not going to die. But I imagine, and this is just me speculating, put that out there. I imagine that Paul might have thought, maybe because these people disobeyed God, I'm going to die with them. Because, or maybe I get to Rome, but everybody else dies. I don't know. And so what God did was God gave him a little boost mid-journey. Gave him an angel in the middle of the night that said, Paul, I'm reminding you, you're going to go to Rome. Paul could have taken this really negatively, couldn't he? He could say, shoot, because I'm in the boat with these morons, I am going to not get to Rome, or it's taking us a long time, or we have to shipwreck first. But I want you to think about it a different way, too. Because Paul was in the boat with those guys, they lived. Sometimes we're so self-centered that we're like, man, if these people weren't in my boat, I'd be so much further. When God is saying, but because you're in that boat with them, they survived. Because Jesus put himself in the boat with the disciples. When the disciples were afraid, the disciples were encouraged and saved. Jesus wasn't afraid. Remember, remember. The Bible tells us when, they, when the disciples were on the boat and, and they were thinking they were going to drown, it says Jesus was walking on water. He didn't need the boat. He's walking on water. And the Bible says he was intending to pass them. See ya. <laughs> Looks like you're having trouble there. <laughs> well, see you on the other side. Because they're so freaked out, he gets in the boat with them. And I know, so this is a tension I feel because on one part of the sermon, I'm telling you, don't get in the boat with people that, are, that, that won't believe God. But on the other side of the boat, I'm going to say sometimes God puts you in the boat with people that need a believer in the boat. So we, we got this tension of, hey, I live in a country with a bunch of unbelievers that make bad decisions. But maybe God put me in this country to be salt and light in this nation. Maybe we shouldn't abandon ship and find some island and make it Jesus Island and leave Canada. No, maybe we should say we're in this nation for a reason. We're here to be salt and light. We're here to bring the love of Jesus. We're here to bring the gospel. We're here to bring, uh, we're here to preserve. We're here to save. So here's what happens. He says, God has granted you, all those who are sailing with you. That was the angel speaking to Paul. Now Paul says to this, these people, therefore keep up your courage, men. Listen to this. For I believe God. I believe God. There's your personal motto. I believe God. What do you know? I know very little, but I believe God. How do you know which way the economy is going to go? I don't know that, but I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I've been told. I believe God. Well, do you know whether the recession is going to affect your business negatively? I believe God. Do, do you know whether or not this government or that government is going to do this? I believe God. And that, that, that leaves room for a lot of things you don't know. Abraham had to set out not knowing where he was going, but believing that God was faithful. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, by faith... Abraham set out not knowing where he was going. So faith in a God I do know causes me to have enough faith that I don't have to know all the other things. I, there are some things I, I need to know and some things I don't. I don't know what's going to happen in five years, what's going to happen in ten years. Doesn't mean I don't plan, but I don't know. But God does. And so there are times where we say, Lord, if you send me, I'm cool with that as long as you tell me every little thing that's going to happen. But God doesn't do that, does he? And I think part of the reason is, is if he told you everything that was going to happen on the journey, you would come up with solutions for it, and your solutions would be way worse than his. Or you'd try to take a shortcut. If, you, if he said, this is where you're supposed to be in 10 years, you would try to take the fastest route there instead of the route that has the blessing of God on it. Instead of the route that has those people you're supposed to meet and touch in your life, you would just get there as fast as you could rather than going God's way. But the Bible tells us that the Israelites were discouraged because of the way. Some of us are not discouraged because of our destination. We're discouraged by the way God took us. We're discouraged because of the way it took to get there. And so we're mad at God that he didn't take us as the crow flies over and just drop us and parachute us down. But instead, we had to go here, 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 and here. 
And when we're thinking selfishly, I know how that can happen. But when you're thinking kingdom, when you're thinking God's plan, when you're thinking bigger than just your little micro world, you begin to understand that God is putting you in, in environments and situations and sometimes in boats with people that need you. Sometimes on an island with people that need the gospel. But we must run aground on a certain island, he says. God knew exactly which island that was going to be. Isn't that cool? God knew. God didn't tell Paul, though. All Paul knows is it's a certain island. Thanks for the details. Which island? A certain one. Okay. Can you spell it for me? C-E-R-T-A-I-N. Oh, thanks. When the 14th night came, as we were being driven about in the Adriatic Sea, none of us here like to be driven about. We like to be in control. I like to have, you know, some horsepower behind me. I like to be directing. I like the rudder. I like to be the guy steering. But being driven about means you feel very lost and out of control. They're being driven about in the Adriatic Sea. How many of you know where the Adriatic Sea is? Okay, so it's not exactly what we think is the Adriatic Sea. That is what they called at the time the Adriatic Gulf. So this is a different area, okay? It's, not, it's, it's a little further south. It's a little, so we're, we're not actually thinking of the Adriatic Sea. I realized by asking you, I might have just confused things more. But it's, 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 it's <laughs> you'll find out where you find out where they, they land. They land in Malta, so that should give you an idea of where they are. About midnight, the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. That's about 120 feet. And a little further on, they took another sounding and found it to be 15 fathoms. It's about 90 feet deep. So what's happening? It's getting shallower. Which you might say, oh, that's great. We're getting to land. It's not great because you're in a ship and you're getting closer to rocks. And the greatest danger they're afraid of is not the ocean right now, the, great, or the sea right now. The greatest danger they're afraid of is being driven onto the rocks and their, their ship being torn, torn apart. So we've gone from 20 fathoms or, like I said, 120 feet, to now 15, about 90 feet deep. And they got a big old ship. This is getting worrying. So it says, fearing that they might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern and wished for daybreak. Sometimes that's all you can do, right? Just throw the anchors and just wish for daybreak. But as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship, and it let down the ship's boat into the sea. Okay, so they got the escape boat, right? And some of the sailors, now listen, one of the things you do in a ship like that is you would let down, an, one of the, they're, they're letting four different anchors, so they're, they're anchoring different parts of the ship. And in order to put that anchor at the front of the ship, sometimes you'd have to get in the boat, take it out, let it down. So it looks like that's what they're doing. But Paul knows something that the captain doesn't know. He says, these guys are trying to escape, these weasels. Because they know the ship's not doing so well close to land, but us in a boat, we could, we could lose these guys, and we could survive. And these are guys they need, right? These are guys with expertise they need. So it says they, there was the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow. This is why anybody that's into sailing, you, you should be loving this right now. I wish we had a sea shanty playing behind me while we read it. But Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Paul totally ratted them out. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and they let it fall away. Okay, well, that probably wasn't the best move. So now you don't have the boat, okay? You don't have the boat that's going to help people get to shore. But that's what they do so nobody escapes. Until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you've been constantly watching and going without eating. When's the last time any of you went 14 days without food? I know some of you have fasted that long, fasted and prayed. But we don't get in the habit of doing that. These sailors were so terrified, so fearful, that they hadn't eaten for 14 days. Paul says, you've been constantly watching, going without eating, taking nothing. Therefore, I encourage you. Once again, what's he doing? Encouraging them. I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation, or this is for your salvation. For not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. That's just the providence of God. 
Having said this, he took bread and he gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and began to eat. Now, you love that picture in Scripture, hey? It's the same picture as Jesus gave thanks for the loaves and the fishes. Same picture in the Lord's Supper. In fact, this is how they ate. And Paul is not ashamed. Now, now the guy that nobody was listening to is the guy that everybody's listening to. And in the presence of all of them, they're all too terrified to eat. What does the Bible say in Psalm 23? He prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. You know, we, he makes us lie down in green pastures, right? You don't lie down if you don't feel safe. You don't eat if you don't feel safe. God is not waiting for your enemies to go away before he prepares a table for you. Prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. I heard it said once, he prepares a feast in the belly of the beast. Here he is laying it out. It's like Jesus taking a nap in the middle of the storm. That's how much peace he had. But remember, remember what his disciples thought when Jesus was sleeping they said, Lord, don't you care that we're dying? See, when someone that doesn't believe sees you at peace, they take it as you don't care. If you cared, you'd be freaking out right now. If you cared, you'd be worried. When you're saying, I care, but I trust, I've given, I've cast this care onto the Lord. I trust God. I believe God. This is so important because I know sometimes there is a temptation on us to take on worry so we can prove that we're not careless, that we're not uh, somebody that just is unfeeling, that we, we don't, we're not just saying it doesn't matter. We, it does matter, friends. I know some people go, you know, don't you care what's going on right now? Haven't you read the news? You don't seem to be bothered by that. And, and it's, it's accusatory, right? Like they're coming at you like you just haven't been paying attention. You go, I have. But I'm trusting God with this. I'm praying through it. I'm, I'm interceding for this. But I want to tell you, I am not going to get into fear. I'm not going to lose my peace because that's the peace of God that he gave me. And he said that the peace of God will guard my heart and my mind. That's why I'm not freaking out right now. That's why I can eat right now. That's why I want you to hear this. The Bible says that he gives to his beloved even in their sleep. So it's vain for you to get up early and go to bed late thinking you have to get everything done. He says, I'm able to give to you even when you're sleeping so sleep rest I know mothers you want to stay awake at night worrying about your kids because if you're not worrying who is but if you will say Lord I give that to you and and whenever the spirit prompts you you pray for him whenever God prompts you you get on your knees and you pray or you praise the you thank God for them but you when it's time to rest you rest unless the Lord wakes you up you rest you don't say, well, but i got to be staying awake. Who's staying awake? If you're able to just trust God, he can give. Even in your sleep, he can be working on your behalf. That's why it takes faith to take a Sabbath, doesn't it? I could be out in the field right now. I could be out in the combine, take, you know, threshing. I could, be, I could be harvesting. And the Israelites are saying, we could be working. And God said, take a day off and watch what I can do with your six days that you could never do with your seven. That's why tithing, we're trusting God. God can use more. With, God could do more with the 90. And, you know, and, and, of course, we give offerings on top. But I'm saying with that, when we give that 10 to the Lord, Lord, I know that when I give 10 to you, you're taking care of the 90 in a way I never could have with 100. These are all things. These are all trust and peace. And so Paul is able to break the bread. And I want to tell you, what I, I consider what he said so far to be a great serve, sermon. Things like the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. Take courage. These are sermons we need to hear today. Amen. But the other sermon we need to hear is the, is the living object lesson of someone breaking bread, giving thanks and saying, it may not be a perfect circumstance right now, but I'm giving thanks for this bread because God gave it to me and I'm going to eat because I trust him. And I'm going to be in peace because I trust him. And I'm going to bless this because God, the blessing of God does not depend on whether there's a storm or no storm. The blessing of God does not check the weather report. The blessing of God was on Joseph. Even when he was sold into slavery, he rose to the top. And even when he was falsely accused and thrown into prison, he rose to the top. And eventually he ended up where God had called him to be. The blessing of God is not thrown off by circumstance. And that's why those that trust in the Lord, the scripture says, will be like a tree planted by a stream, and they will not fear when the drought comes. Do you hear that, believer? Do you hear that, believers that are business owners? You will not fear when recession comes. 
Did the Lord call you into that business? Is that business being used for the glory of God? Is it an instrument for you to be able to give and meet needs? Then my goodness, let, you, let me just tell you, the recession can't stop what God started in your life. A storm can't keep you from Rome. In verse 36, all of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took food. I want you to recall that most of the people on the ship, except for Luke and maybe another companion, the rest of these guys are not believers. But the peace of God is so on Paul. And the power of God is in that encouragement. The grace of God is in that encouragement that they were all encouraged. Do you ever think about the fact that everybody Jesus healed was unsaved? Like everybody Jesus healed was, yeah, part of, part of his chosen people, sure. Except for a few Gentiles he healed. But most of the time he spent his house amongst Israel. But they hadn't been washed of their sin. It was on that side of the cross. They hadn't, they hadn't believed in him for their justification. They're unsaved people. And yet God did miracles amongst them. Have you ever considered how many times God spoke to unbelieving kings and unbelieving governors and unbelieving, I mean, God used people and God spoke to people that had no relationship with him. And so sometimes we think, I can't, I can't have an, a spiritual effect on anybody unless they're born again. Thank God they need to be born again. But these unbeliever, dirty, cussing sailors heard an encouragement from the Lord, and they were encouraged so much that they could eat. Now listen, they are experienced. They know what we're facing is probably lethal. And yet when this man speaks, I believe him, and I'm going to eat. Courage came. They themselves took food. What, what's happening is the courage of trusting in God is contagious. And it says this, all of us in the ship were 276 persons. And when they'd eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing the wheat into the sea. When day came, we could not recognize the land. But they did observe a bay with a beach, and they resolved to drive the ship onto it if they could. Casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea. Well, at the same time, they were loosening the ropes of the rudders, because you want to be as light as possible, right? Hoisting the foresail to the wind, they were heading for the beach. But striking a reef where two seas met, they ran the vessel aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern began to be broken up by the force of the waters. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners. Wow, okay. We just jump right to that. So that none of them would swim away and escape, but the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from their intention and commanded that those who could swim should just jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest should follow, some on planks and others on various things through the ship. So it happened that they were all brought safely to land, every single one of them. And when they'd been brought safely through, we found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us extraordinary kindness. For because of the rain they'd set in, and because of the cold, they kindled a fire, and they received us all. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. So this is Paul and the not very good, very bad, terrible day. He's having just <laughs> so many. All right, this is okay, thanks, God. You know, what's happened is, is, is it's winter. And it's really cold right now, so the snake has basically gone almost into hibernation. Well, it's a cold-blooded snake, right? And so it's, it's kind of like very still, not doing much. But then it gets thrown into the fire. Boy, that thing comes awake. It bites Paul and fastens itself on his hand, just hangs right off his, his hand. And when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began to say to one another, Undoubtedly, this man is a murderer. And though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. There's actually stories in Greek mythology of a guy washing ashore after a shipwreck, but justice, who they, when they say justice, they're not talking about justice, this guy right here. They're not even talking about the concept of justice. They believe there was a goddess of justice. They believe there is a divine force that says, no, 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 you're not going to get away with it. And we kind of took, there was some sort of, uh, comfort in that, that nobody gets away with anything, right? And so you may have survived a shipwreck, but they see that, that snake and they're like, ah, you must have been a murderer. Justice is not allowing you to live. However, he shook the creature off into the fire. 
and suffered no harm. They were expecting that he was about to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they'd waited a long time and seen nothing unusual happen to them, I just love that. Nobody's going for first aid. They're just watching him. He's going to swell up. I think he's going to swell up soon. Maybe he'll just fall over dead. Well, I don't know. Won't. Get the kids. <laughs> right? And he just shakes it off in the fire. Nothing happens to him. So now they change their mind and they begin to say that he's a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously for three days. It happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed, afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery. And Paul went in to see him, and after he prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. After this had happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. They honored us with many marks of respect, and when we were setting sail, they supplied us with all that we needed. That goes beyond the sermon I was talking about, but I just want to see, you know, this kind of goes along with the sermon that Paul preached, I believe God, so I'm not going to freak out. I believe God, so you shouldn't freak out either. Take courage. When we take courage, here's, here's what I've noticed. This is what I've noticed when I, watch, when I watch people, even believers that think like the rest of the world, is when you see a bad report, what do you do to make yourself feel better? Either you just like try to forget you saw it, or you try to find another source or article that says something opposite, or you try to, what we, we try to like cope with all these different mechanisms. But what a believer does is a believer says, if that's true, then I've got to believe what God says, and I've got to take this to the Lord, and I'm going to trust in God, because that doesn't change what God says. Now, I'm not saying that, that uh, I'm certainly not saying there's no shipwrecks coming, because here, we just read. I'm not saying that there's not going to be obstacles. We just saw some obstacles. But I am saying that, that, that we have to begin to get back to that place where we are saying, the Lord said I'm going to Rome, so that's what's, that's what's happening. That, that this is what God, this is how God says it's going to end, so I believe that. That this is what God said about, uh, about my salvation and my righteousness and, and the wisdom of God being made known to me. This is what the Lord says, and so I'm going to believe that. Because of that, I have peace. I have courage. And that courage is contagious. Boy, you know, the script, like I said, the scripture says all over the New Testament, encourage one another every day. In your life groups, encourage one another. In the lobby, encourage one another. If the Lord puts it on your heart, give somebody a call. Give them a call. Encourage them. Send them a text. Encourage them. Go over to their house and bring them some food. Encourage them because this is what we need. In these days, the Bible says you should be doing that even more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. Because the closer we get to the day of the Lord, the worse things get on the outside. But the more we need to be plugged into Jesus here. And I don't mean here as in the church. I mean wherever you are. And this is why we need to encourage you. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't lose your heart. Don't lose your courage. Don't lose your hope. We need to, sometimes when everybody's looking for answers, you know, it's hard for me as a pastor to say, I don't know the answer to that. But sometimes that's what we have to say. I don't know the answer to that, but I do know. I believe God. I don't know how this trip's going to end up. I don't know what island we're going to run into. I don't know how this, I don't know what was going to happen in the boat. All I know is I believe God and we're coming to Rome. And in fact, the Lord said, you're all going to be saved, so thanks. Or you're welcome. And it's that same courage that calls Paul when he, I mean, imagine the adrenaline when you get bit by a snake. You're just surprised. Like you, you throw sticks into a fire and cha. And imagine just the adrenaline and, and the instant fear that would course through your veins, not to mention the poison. And yet somewhere Paul goes, the Lord, how many times does the Lord have to tell me I'm going to Rome? So this snake can't kill me. I'm going to Rome. And maybe he remembered what Jesus said, that there shall be no deadly thing that will harm you. That you'll tread on serpents and scorpions. You'll drink any de deadly poison that will not harm you. Maybe he remembered that as well. And so he does this by this great act of faith. He shakes it off in the fire. And he goes on with his life. And I think sometimes that's the greatest act of faith that we can ever walk through. Is say, I believe God and I'm shaking this off. 
not, I'm not saying snakes aren't real. I'm not saying in Jesus' name that's not poisonous. Sometimes we say that, like we pray that things didn't happen in the past. Like somebody says, we're believing that this baby's going to be a girl. I'm like, it probably is what it is. If you were going to pray that, you should pray that before you got pregnant, I think. <laughs> or you say, you know, like I, I took it, I went to the doctor, got some tests. Let's pray that the tests don't say it's this. I'm saying, well, you, it probably is what it is. You don't need to take, change the test. You need to trust God that God can change the outcome of this. The test doesn't change your, your future. The test just tells you what's, what reality is. But your, your biggest reality is the Lord is good and he's good to all. The Lord blesses my bread and my water. He takes sickness from the midst of me. The Lord has called me for a purpose. I'm going to fulfill that purpose. I don't know everything, but I know that. These are things that give us courage. These are truths that gives us courage. And, and these are the kind of times you had me to stand up in the boat and go, you guys haven't eaten for a while. Why not? I'm freaking out. Have a meal. Here's why. I believe God. Yeah. We should believe God. We need to be encouragers like this. That's the sermon we preach to one another. But like Paul, that might be the sermon you preach at your job when everyone's freaking out about inflation. They're freaking out about recession. They're freaking out about this latest decision over here. They're freaking out about the way things are going over here. Maybe it takes somebody freaking out about China invading Taiwan or they're freaking out about this or that. Maybe you need to just be that person that says, let's pray about it right now. I don't know how to pray. You can just listen to me. Close your eyes and listen to me. And let's pray together. Because apparently an unbeliever can still be encouraged by a word from the Lord. And they need it. And they need you. And maybe you're in the boat and you go, God, why'd you put me in the boat with these people? And maybe God says, well, you're in it. And they're going to be thankful you're in the boat with them. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. God is so good. Thank you, Father, for putting courage in our hearts when we didn't feel like it. Lord, I, I know that <laughs> some, there's been times I've let myself be discouraged. Discouraged by what I saw. Discouraged by what I felt. Like Peter, discouraged by the wind and the waves I see around me. But you were always so close that when I began to sink, immediately the Lord took my hand. Thank you, Lord, for being faithful to us. Thank you, Lord, that when we've, even those times where we've said, I don't believe that, I think I know better, that you still had mercy on us like you had mercy on those soldiers. Even when they made the wrong decision, you still saved their sorry lives. Thank you for saving mine. Today, I just want to pray courage over you. I want to pray courage over you. I want to pray supernatural courage over you and peace. Scripture says the righteous will not be shaken. Their heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. They will never be shaken because they fear the Lord. But I have certainly been in positions where I felt like everything was shaking around me, and I don't know how I could not be shaken. Bible tells us here's how. Your heart is steadfast. You're trusting in the Lord. So right now I'm going to pray for a steadfast heart. In the name of Jesus, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you that you have not let them run aground. And now, Lord. In fact, you know what? Before I pray any further, I just, I really believe that we need to take an act with this. So if that's you, just lift a hand right now. If you say, I need some courage right now. I, I have some news that I'm having to not be afraid. I'm having some things in my life that I'm having choose, to choose not be, to be shaken by. If that's you, put a hand in the air, and I'm going to pray for you right now. And if you're near somebody, stretch out your hand towards them and pray for them as well. Because I really believe that this needs to be not just a passive thing that's prayed over you, but an active thing you take hold of. Take hold of his peace in Jesus' name. So if that's you, raise a hand, and we're going to pray for you right now. In the name of Jesus, Peace be still. Peace be still over your heart. Peace be still over your mind. Peace be still over your family. Peace be still over your job. In the name of Jesus, may the blessing of God that is stronger than the curse of the evil one reign in your life.
May the word of God have its anchoring force in your life that says, I am rooted and grounded in something and I will not be moved. Lord, I pray right now for those that are in a valley of decision. They're in a place where they're having, they don't know the way out. We don't know how this ends. I pray right now, Lord, first of all, that your peace would guard their heart and mind. And secondly, Lord, that you would give them eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand that they'd see, hear, and know your way out. You said for every trial, for every temptation, for every trial, uh, you also provide a way of escape. So whoever that is that's saying, I need a way of escape, I feel like I'm stuck. I feel like there's no way out. Right now, in the name of Jesus, we believe for you there is a way of escape. And you will be saved. You'll be rescued. You know, here we believe, we're Christians, we believe in salvation. Biggest form of salvation we talk about is salvation from hell, salvation from death. We believe that Jesus' death and resurrection saved us from death. But I want you to know that when, when the scripture talks about salvation, it's not limited to just salvation from death or salvation from hell. It also speaks of salvation from, you know, it, talks, it uses the word salvation when talking about someone being healed. It uses the word salvation when talking about someone being delivered. It talks about salvation in the Psalms when it says, God is to us a fortress and a strength. He says, to God alone belongs salvation, deliverances from death. So I want you to just believe right now that whatever it is that you need to be rescued from, salvation means rescue, that you'd be rescued. And now can we intercede for those that need rescue? I know that you're, you've got some people in your boat that need some prayer right now. Can we pray for them? Can we love them, those that are in our boat, those that, you know, maybe they've slowed you down on your journey. Maybe you've let yourself get a little bitter. You let yourself get a little bitter because, man, they slowed you down. You could have been there so much sooner if not for them. But can we let the compassion of the Holy Spirit, the compassion of Jesus fill our hearts right now? And can we intercede on their behalf and realize that maybe it's a blessing for them that I'm in that boat with them? In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray that those that have been so blinded that they haven't seen the light of your gospel, they've been so hardened that they haven't received it, I pray right now, Lord, that your mercy would cover them, that your mercy would cover them. Your mercy is new every morning. It's new. It does not fade. It does not wear out. It's new every morning. We know your faithfulness is great. So, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that your mercy would bring the prodigal home that your mercy would extend towards the hard heart and soften that heart in the name of Jesus, that your mercy would save lives, that your mercy would pull people out of a pit and back on solid ground, that your mercy would save from addiction, that your mercy would save from a, a life of self-centeredness, that your mercy would save someone who's been traveling so far in the wrong direction they forgot which way was up. Lord, I pray for your mercy on them. Lord, I pray for boldness for my brothers and sisters. That when it comes time for them to declare why they have peace, you said to have an answer for the hope that lies within that when they have a time where it comes time where someone says, why do you have hope? That you would give them exactly the right words to say and their words may be seasoned with grace just like with salt. So it may be a blessing and build up the hearer. I thank you for it in the name of Jesus. God, you're so good. Isn't God good? He's a stronghold in a day of trouble. Hallelujah. You know, the Bible is... <laughs> is so full of phrases like storms and day of trouble and all these things. And it never says, you'll never know what those things are. It, it, it says those are quite common. But you will not fear in the day of trouble. Your house will not be destroyed in the storm because you built it on a rock. Amen. Right? Praise God, you have a stormproof, your life is a stormproof house if you've built it on the foundation of the word of God. If you've not just been a hearer, but you've been a doer. In fact, Jesus said, and I'm going to try to finish here. Jesus said, the man who built his house on the rock is like the man who dug down till he hit bedrock. 
So I'm, I'm praying for you today that the word we preach here and the words you study at home and the words you talk about it in your life groups, that the, these are the words that you begin to build your life on. But he says you got to dig deep. Jesus talked about that. Your roots can't just go down a little bit. they got to go down greater because if they go down a little bit, when drought comes, you're going to dry up. But if they go down deeper, they hit water. And if you dig down deeper, you'll hit rock that you can build on for your house. I know I'm mixing metaphors, but this is the truth. Is that This is, runs across multiple parables. You have to dig deep. So I have to let this word start to bug me. This is my my key. If it doesn't bug me, I don't believe it as much as I should. If at some point Jesus doesn't offend me somewhere, maybe I'm skipping some verses. Well, because here's what happens. When it bugs you, really what's happening is you're experiencing change. That's why it bugs you is because you don't want to change. Your flesh doesn't want to change, but your spirit does. So what you're feeling is your flesh going, I don't like this, but your spirit is going, I love this. So what you're bumping up against is, is the Lord transforming you. You're feeling your spiritual legs get longer. You're feeling uh, God pushing out the, the stuff and the clutter in your life and making room for his roots to go down. And so I pray that over you right now in the name of Jesus, that room would be made in your life, that you would learn how to, how to go deeper. And I, for those of you that have just been calling out for deeper, You've been crying out for deeper. I want you to know God wants that for you. God wants that for you. In fact, you know what? I'm going to ask you, if there's anybody here that says, I've been asking God, God, take me deeper. And I just want someone to pray with me because we've got a prayer team that can pray this morning. But if you've been saying, Lord, I want to go deeper. Is there anybody here that says, has been praying that recently? Lord, I want to go deeper. That's what you've been praying. If that's you, just come on to the front because we want to pray with you today. I believe that God's going to meet you right where you are. If you've been wanting to go deeper, you've been crying out for more, you're wondering, you're saying, Lord, I know there's more. I know there's more. So I've been asking for it. You know, God is so faithful. God is so faithful to meet you right there. Thank you, Jesus. In fact, can we do it a little bit different? Can we just gather together in the center here? Praise you, Lord. Just gather right here, friends. Lord, I pray. Can we just get prayer team behind them? Thank you, Jesus. I pray that as we've asked... So you are faithful to do. That as we, you said, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you. Ask and you will receive. You said you wouldn't give us a serpent if we asked for fish. You wouldn't give us a stone if we asked for bread. So if we ask for more, it's more we get. Because we're asking for more from you and you want it more than we want it. So in the name of Jesus... Right now, in the name of Jesus, may the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead raise you and call you into that deeper place where deep calls to deep. And as you've asked, so receive in the name of Jesus. God's got more for you. God's got deeper to go. You receive it right now in the name of Jesus. In fact, the Lord is speaking to some of you right now. He's giving you that next thing to go deeper. Here's the next step I want you to take. Don't ask for the whole journey. Ask for the next step. In Jesus' name, may the oil that pours over the head and runs down from the head all the way to your toes, may the anointing of the Holy Spirit flow over you in Jesus' name, drawing you and pulling you into the undercurrent of his grace. There is deeper to go. And I just want you to know right now, you'll never want it as much as he wants it. So you're never fighting God when you say, I want more of you. You're never fighting God. He is, it's his good pleasure. Jesus said it is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's your good pleasure to receive it. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. I want to let you know that we've got um, a prayer team that's going to be up here at the end. If you need prayer for anything this morning, they've got a team that's going to pray for you. And I believe God's going to meet you right here. If you don't know Jesus this morning, if you don't know Jesus and you want to know him, then we've got a team that's right here to lead you to Jesus, and they're so excited to lead you to the Lord. And so uh, if you need anything from the Lord, you need healing, you need prayer for somebody else, you need prayer for yourself, then you come on up, and we've got a prayer team that wants to pray for you in Jesus' name. Yes, Pastor Brownie.
Yeah, sure. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Well, hallelujah. Let's just, let's just pray for the, this, that we would go out in peace, that we would go out in joy, that we would go out in strength in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I pray your blessing on your people. I pray that you would bring them into situations where they are prepared and made ready to be used by you in a mighty way. God, I thank you that your uh, hand is on them and that whatever they put their hand to, your hand is on their hand. As long as they're doing the will of the Lord, as long as they're in your will, your hand is on their hand. And whatever they set their hand to prospers in the name of Jesus. Amen. Once again, prayer team is going to stay up here. want to remind you that we've got a Shine the Light party on October 31st coming right up. Need some volunteers? Need some candy? Drop off the candy. Praise God.